2: 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Uh, Let's start. You guys are both recording. Yes. Julianne. Yes. Julianne,
3: are you? Oh, how do I do that?
4: In my life, did I think I would be playing that song for our very first guest? Hello, welcome to Lady of the Road. My name is Arda Marine, coming to you from my garage in Los Angeles, California. With me, my co host, Bridgerton director, Bridgerton executive producer, all around superstar, Julianne Robinson. Hello. We are so excited about our first two guests ever of Lady of the Road. To say that the first woman that I'm about to introduce is a true rock icon is an understatement. She is Joan Jett, of Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, one of the greatest bands in music history. She was a founding member of the hit all teen group The Runaways. This is something that is thrilling to me, because I know Julian and I both really are wowed by people who build their own boats. She was the first female performer to start her own record label. Blackheart Records. She's a songwriter. She's a producer. She's a humanitarian and animal rights activist. Three of her albums have been certified platinum or gold. She's a feminist icon. She is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Some of her songs are in the Grammy Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to us from the most beautiful view on the East Coast, the one and only this Joan Jet. Hello, Joan. Hi, guys. Hi, ladies. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the
5: pod. I want to say, and I know this is redundant, and I, I want to add Carrie Ann because I'm sure she'd feel the same way. We're so glad to be here first.
4: <laughs> <laughs> also joining us to also be our first, class, let's make it a group effort. When it's your first, just go all out. Why not, everybody? Uh, joining us today is a woman who is also a badass baller in her own right. She is the president of Blackheart Records. She is Joan's manager. She was the visionary behind the incredible, inspiring documentary, Bad Reputation, about Joan Jett. If you have not seen it, I watched it when it first came out. I just rewatched it. It's a story about perseverance of about never giving up, about being true to yourself. And it's also the story about a chosen family. It's not necessarily the family that you're born into, but it's the family who you choose. And it is so moving. You should run out and rent it right now and watch it. And if you've seen it before, you should go watch it again. She also was an associate producer of the biopic The Runaways, and she grew up with Joan living in her house for a lot of her childhood. Ladies and gentlemen, we are thrilled to have with us Carrie-Anne Brickman. Hello, Carrie-Anne. Hello. Hey. <laughs> that documentary that you produced, just re-watching it, you did such a good job. It's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much.
6: Yeah, it was a, a labor of love. <laughs> yeah.
3: There's a lot of love in it. I I I watched it again and I just, I loved it all over again. And I thought... A good first question may be, can you describe how you guys met? I don't know if you can remember, carrie Ann, but how <laughs> did you meet?
6: Well, I, I was an infant, <laughs> yes. so I'll
3: have to throw that <laughs> to Joan. Yeah, <laughs> Joan, how did you meet Oh,
5: carrie Ann. Okay, C- carrie Ann. <laughs> yes, well, I met her in her crib. She was three months old, you know, like a pretty new baby. And at that point in my life, I was uh, t- you know, 21. And I had not been around a lot of babies, you know, since I was a teenager, since I had left my house. I, I hadn't really been around a lot of children at all, which was probably good just because it wasn't proper environment. But when I moved to New York, I actually moved into Carrie's house, which is the house I'm living in now.
4: Wow. Her
5: her mom and dad and her lived here, a two bedroom place and uh that's how I met her. And uh I quickly got over my fear of babies and, you know, Carrie Ann and I fell in love. I mean, I was her aunt in a way, and that's what we've always sort of considered ourselves, but also a mother, you know, know, because I have a completely different, not completely different, I don't think, but uh, a a different parenting technique than her her parents.
6: Oh, completely different is accurate. In what (laughs) way? And what was the difference? Joan's the one to be scared of. She's oh, interesting. She's legit. She's like the disciplinarian. She does not let you get away with anything, even with my little kids. So Joan was more strict than your actual parents. Pretty much. I mean, my mother was strict. My father was like, you know, he was on the same level as I was. We should say that her (laughs) father
4: is Kenny Laguna, who is Joan's producing partner, lifelong collaborator. Again, if you haven't seen the documentary, the footage of you and Carrie-Anne's father, I mean, this relationship is, I could watch, (laughs) I could watch the two of you for hours. It's fascinating. It was charming. It was, there was so much love. I loved the bickering. Loved the taping of the pants. (laughs) Um,
5: Yeah, I hate the bickering, but I, you know, I love the relationship, and that's, you know, that's just part of it. We're like, you know, we're best friends, but also we have don't have it exactly. We we see eye to eye on a lot in life, but there's also a lot of things I don't see eye to eye with him on, and it might not be actual subject matter, but you know, your tone with somebody, or you know, just uh, having manners. You know, I'm I'm kind of into that, not to the extreme, but, you know, uh, that you've got to treat people well, you know, it's, and I, I'm not saying that Kenny's not that Kenny is of the same mind. It's just there, you know, there's some, I can't even think of something right now.
6: Well, you're a rule follower. He's not that kind of thing. Like you're very state of the rules and I'm like that too, but he's not.
5: Well, especially when it affects other, when it affects yeah. other people, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I don't like using my, If I have influence, I don't like using that necessarily to cut in line in front of other people you know Mm. that really that kind of shit really bothers me
3: do you think that that ethical position rubbed off on you Carrie Ann that Joan's kind of position in life can you remember sometimes that maybe Joan gave you some advice when you were growing up that you then used in your later life or even at school
6: well I mean I don't even know that it was like a a specific thing but you know it's like your parent you know it's like through your parenting it's it's just this ethos
5: the example you said I don't want to yeah. throw put words in your mouth
6: no that's exactly it and it, it's the example and it's probably a lot why I wanted to do the documentary because that really exemplifies what I got as a child and even as an adult and it's worth ethic Joan has the most intense work ethic you've ever seen it's perseverance it's authenticity And never, you know, straying from who you are as your authentic self. And you have to live in that or else what's the point? And I think that's probably the biggest message, which is huge. And, you know, I think that's like even more so now where we are societally. I think people are women, especially are first coming into that. And I think that wasn't the norm, right? Like, I grew up in the 80s you know it was like oh, not the norm and now you know look we just have our first woman as vice president right that's progress. us yeah <laughs> <laughs> Perseverance.
4: (laughs) I also grew up in the 80s, and it is true. One of the things is, again, rewatching the documentary that I admired so much was watching Joan, even as a 15 year old, that she was so fully formed. And even when the world was saying, you can't rock because you're a girl, like that she protected the core of what her what was true about her as a human and what was true about her as an artist. Like just the videos, I was like, she was
3: fully formed. She was just as badass. But I'm, I'm intrigued just to chime in here to ask you, Joan, something that, that came out of the documentary was it said in there that you were shy Yeah. and that's yeah. like, that really fascinates me because I'm shy um, and people don't believe it. I experienced the world that way anyway. and It's yeah. a hard thing to get past it is, you know. I get anxiety about it. You mm-hmm. know, me too. I'm just wondering how you powered through that. How you thought, well, that's an issue, but I'm not going to let it hold me back. I'm going to just power through. That's well, this is for me, <laughs>
5: right? Well, no, but it's, but it's for it's for a lot of it's for a lot of people. A lot of people feel this way, you know. A lot of people and a lot of performers are very shy. Funny enough, mm-hmm. but. I don't know that you ever get over it, really. I I haven't gotten over it. I've gotten better at managing it and separating why I might be hesitant. You know, part of it is just I'm good with being alone. You know, I'm kind of okay with that energy. It doesn't bother me. A lot of people don't like to be alone, and so they have to be around people. So maybe part of it is my conditioning. You know, I'm just kind of... Like to hold most of my cards close to my chest. And I guess where I first no- obviously noticed it was in the runaways when I had to do anything. Because I wanted to play guitar and I wanted to be out there, but I was too nervous about, I guess, everything. Judgment, you know, like, oh, so many women have judgment. I mean, you know, being judged mm-hmm. the way, if you look the right way, if you're pretty and not, everything. I, I had a lot of acne as a teenager. so. That made me, you know, shy as well because or I don't know if shy is the word, but apprehensive, just because you don't want to be criticized and looked down on or laughed at, all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I don't know how I really dealt with it as a kid before the Runaways. I mean, you know, I didn't have that many instances. I was in drama class in school, but you know, I, I was really only the prop girl, mm-hmm. as, <laughs> as one of the guys in a high school reunion recently reminded me. Wow, the prop girl made good oh my god
4: yes yeah, such a assholes. thing a guy of course it's like the one way he can put you down it's like okay buddy you got me i'm in the rock and roll hall of fame but yes i was a prop girl but <laughs> well, you were the star in high school yeah you were the guy okay oh it must be of course he was the guy do you ever get stage fright now oh, or, yeah. or
5: not stage fright uh, but i think it's important to always be to have that nervous energy. It's not stage fright. I'm not afraid right. of going out there. In fact, the sooner I get out there, the better I'll feel. It's way—it's that anticipation of what's to come. See, that's another thing if you're shy. It's just try to stay in the moment because your head is always supposing what's going to happen mm-hmm.
1: to you.
3: Yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah. And it's all bad, you know. So
6: I sometimes think also, you know, I'm a perfectionist. You're a perfectionist. I think that plays into it too.
5: Yeah. that You don't cut yourself enough slack. You have yeah. to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I know it's, it's much harder for younger women to do that because yep. it takes practice and you'll always have another chance. So that's the good thing about it is you do have opportunities to practice, but part of that is awareness. And
3: yeah, it's
5: easy not to be aware. I mean, I've had trouble with that my whole life, you know, really just, Being aware of the moment, you know, all the special things that happen and people don't take time to process it. And, you know, I think it's important to be in that moment and notice each one for what it is, whether Mm -hmm. it makes you feel bad or not, you know, then try to analyze why you feel bad. And then maybe it's a cycle, you cycle out. Yeah. Just like you cycle into it.
4: carrie Ann, do you just because you, you know, stepping into running a record label and there's not a ton of actual, truly independent record labels anyway. Here you are. You're a woman running a le- record label. Do you get nervous about things? Is it something like if you had to harness your inner strength and push through? Have you taken inspiration from Joan in that?
6: Yes, of course. Of course. Um, I've also probably inherited that perfection from her <laughs> right? <laughs> and holding myself to like the highest level that could possibly be. But which your father does too. Yeah, which my father does too. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's a double edged sword, because I always say that's what drives you. And it's also what tears you down. So it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting line to walk. But yeah, of course, you know, I think I had a lot of intimidation early on in my career. And I let things, you know, intimidate me. And I think that's also a product of experiences that you kind of you keep going. And I just always feel like I have this force behind me that's just pushing me. And I just, you know, you have to lean into that, right?
3: What do you mean by by that. That's really interesting. I'm always worried something's pushing me, but maybe in the wrong direction.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's the right direction or wrong direction. It's just pushing me. It's just like I kind of... If
5: it's your gut, it's
6: right. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's like my inner voice telling me, you know, keep going. And, you know, you have to be really uh, grateful for the, the blessings and the, the opportunities you have in your life and you can't take them for granted. So sometimes you have to overcome whatever it is holding holding you back. To One of the things that, that
4: just hearing the the origin story of Blackheart Records to me is so inspiring. Like that, it was born mm-hmm. out of what could seemingly have been just the end of the road for somebody. You know, mm-hmm. here's Joan, and she already had this huge career, and then was sort of having a lull, and has written on her own like some of the most iconic songs out there, and was you know doing very well in Europe, and applied to twenty three record labels, twenty three record labels, and was rejected by twenty. Bye-bye three record labels and some of them said lose the guitar <laughs> you know uh yeah. crimson and clover bad reputation i love rock and roll do you want to touch me like these were all these songs that and um, the movie was saying that just because it was a woman nobody would sign her and then they like started this record label because nobody would sign you and and what a gift it's like all right assholes like fine i'll do it myself and then you know that you didn't give up it's so inspiring to me to build your own boat
5: and since I mean, it was lucky nobody signed us because mm-hmm.
4: now we own all
6: our music. Because yes, right, and aren't beholden to anybody. That's such freedom. Yes, it's amazing.
5: But also, I want I want to mention not only did did we do something unique in starting a record label, just out of necessity to live selling records out of the back of the car. Yeah, we started. Nobody did that before. Yes, you know, people weren't selling anything at the concerts. Not even—I guess they were selling T-shirts, right, Carrie?
6: Yeah, they must have been
5: in the '70s and stuff, because there were T-shirts. Yeah, there was no music, you know, no kind of music. It was very limited merch. It was like T-shirts—that's what you could get, you know, Mm -hmm. in the old days—and not probably not everybody, but I don't know. But selling music at the gigs was uh, nobody did that, you know, and now they do it at every show i would think yeah
3: Yeah. okay that's great we're gonna stop right here we're gonna go to a quick ad break
0: bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 investments like acquiring america's largest biogas producer archaea energy and starting up new infrastructure in the gulf of mexico it's and not or
3: Um, We're back. I also want to have a little chat about Light of Day at some point, Joan. because That's something that I watched and thought you were amazing in. Oh, thank you.
4: For our listeners, Light of Day was a movie that Joan, just in case you aren't familiar, she starred in this movie with Michael J. Fox called Light of Day, and she played music in it. And I believe he played music in it. And Julianne, that's what she's talking about. So here we go.
3: Yeah. Going back to the shyness thing, there isn't a trace of that in that performance. It's completely authentic and from a very real place. And yeah, so I was going to ask you about, did you have a fear going into that movie or did you always feel like, no, this is something that I'm going to nail? And there was a lot of talent around that film.
5: Yes, there was. Yes, there was. And I suppose, yeah, on the outside, it looks like a really intimidating situation to go into. But I'll tell you, I couldn't have been around a nicer gang of people and more down-to-earth stars. And then Mm -hmm. Jen Rollins, Jason Miller, and, and Michael. I mean, he's amazing. He's an amazing guy, an amazing actor, and was very generous with me and gave me all sorts of tips you know, as opposed to screwing with me, you know, he totally could have screwed with me, not helped me to find my marks and all little things that, you know, you don't know if you're not an actor, you don't know the lingo and all that stuff. So he helped me a lot. Plus, I had an amazing acting coach with me on set. Her name was Sandra Lee. Mm -hmm. And she she was the original Tinkerbell on Broadway, I guess, in wow. you know, way back way back when. And so, yeah, she was a heavy duty acting coach. And I think she worked with Marlon Brando and just some heavy people. And she was with me the whole time. And she wasn't intimidated by anybody. She was a little spitfire. And uh, the director. Paul Schrader.
4: Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. Yes, yes, yes.
5: he was pretty intense, you know. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I heard stories and rumors about how he was going to break me and oh god this and that and
3: really oh no yeah but i mean i did
5: he was always nice to me face to face so i didn't really get what they meant, and I really, you know, I had my own cocoon. I was doing my thing. I was rehearsing my lines. I knew everybody. I knew my lines and Michael's lines mm-hmm. pretty much. So I prepared for that, and it was a long shoot. It was like almost a year, probably eight months in Chicago and a few months in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So it was a long time. So it wasn't like you had to do everything right away. So I really lived lived in the part and had time to really dig into each scene. So it wasn't like a, like you know. I guess if you were doing TV how it's much quicker and you don't have time to
3: did you enjoy it?
5: I did. I did. You did.
3: You didn't find it boring, because I mean, the thrill of live perform—I mean, the the primal scream of what you do on stages. So
5: yes, it's a different thing, which in a way was great, because I didn't have to worry about being nervous to perform for an audience. But you're still performing for an audience, for all the the crew and cast and everybody standing around, and you know, and you know, you're being judged because that's the whole point.
4: And he was also at the height of his fame. I mean, I remember I had a Michael J. Fox poster on my wall i remember carrie oh yeah i mean he was teen
6: wolf and back to the future (laughs) oh i i felt very cool being around that as the like little kid and he got me a birthday present and i was like oh my god alex keaton got me a birthday present all right alex p keaton (laughs) you can't go wrong oh we have a doorbell i think we have a visitor you
4: guys (laughs) A visitor to okay. our podcast. <laughs> who could that be? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you guys, joining us in our house of the pod, in our house of lady cool, we have legendary British actress, Adua Ando, who you might know from the Netflix super smash, Bridgerton, and she plays the iconic role that everybody is talking about, Lady Danbury. Ladies and gentlemen, Adua Ando. Adjua, welcome. Mm-hmm.
3: Adua.
1: <laughs>
3: Adua. Wow. Adjua. Hi, hi, hi Adua. I had a, uh, a whole intro organised, as you know. But uh, we were just talking about acting, funnily enough, because Joan was in a movie. And she was very, very good in that movie. So we were just, we were just chatting about that. But I think you should just dive in and start talking to Joan because you've told me a little bit about how you feel. So do you want to just dive in? Yeah.
8: Hey, hey, Joan. Hi. So how exciting! Idea. So that that movie was the the movie with Michael J. Fox, right? Yes. 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 Um, I'm so. Um, I don't know what to say to you. I, I I saw The Clash when I was 14 in 1977, supported by Richard Hell the Void. And a French girl bank called the In loose. London? Uh, in Bristol. In Bristol, nineteen seventy seven. They were on a tour. And I, I lived in a tiny dairy village in the middle of the Cotswolds. And I was like a lone punk, out, the little black girl in the middle of England in the 1960s and 70s. <laughs> and punk came along and saved my life. And yes, yeah, so I went to see The Clash when I was 14, February 1977, and my life was saved. And that's my whole life. Wow. The idea of women just being entirely who they are with the gifts that they have, whatever those gifts may be, All of that, doing it yourself, just sort of not giving a hoot about who wants to limit you and stop your capacity, all of that stuff. My brother's a musician. My father's a musician. My grandmother was in a palm court orchestra. She was a guitar player in the 1920s in Ghana, West Africa.
6: Wow. Wow.
8: Yeah. How cool, man. That's that's
5: great to know, right? Yeah. But I want to tell you, I was at that same tour. I saw that Clash tour, (laughs) but I believe it it was in London. And it was the first time that I ever, you know, I'd been reading about the British kids and, you know, I had that Clash album. The first one, yeah, yeah, which they yeah. played the they played the whole one at that they concert. the whole thing, but it's the yeah. first time I ever saw pogoing, which is what they yeah, still oh. called it then. You know,
8: yeah, yeah, but, yeah, pogoing. So
5: I was I was changed. I went came from the states like kind of semi glittery glam person and came back punk rocked out. For Transformed.
8: Sure. Yeah, England was awesome. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how your growing up was for you as a young woman, but there was something about the permission that punk gave for us as women to be whatever sort of woman we wanted to be that has been like a gift that's been my whole life. And and maybe that was in our hearts and that's what made us fall into that aesthetic in the first place. But it's just like, you know, I will be on my deathbed and I will still be a punk. Well, that's what I said. Once a punk, always a punk. You can't get away yeah. from that. No matter, yeah. you know, it
5: Doesn't you don't have to yeah. just dress the part. It's more than dressing the part. I mean, I, I always say to people when they talk to me about the Runaways, you know, the Runaways weren't a punk band per se, but the, the idea was completely punk rock,
8: you know? It was completely punk rock. The aesthetic, absolutely.
5: So in that respect, we were a punk rock band. So it depends on how how you define
8: define those things, you know? For me, you were a punk band because you were, you were a bunch of women who pushed back against the whole sort of women have to be like this and women have to play like this. And, you know, you can only be framed in, a, in the context of men. You just went, I like playing the guitar. I'm going to play right. the guitar. I want to express right. myself with these people and forget about you if you, if you can't take it. And, and the response, I was looking at some of those concerts and the rapturous response you got from young women as well, who were just like, oh, oh yeah. thank God. Thank God, you know, yeah, that's yeah it, that see it to be it thing. You, Joan, completely did the see it to be it thing for so many young women.
5: That's great to hear. I mean, they, they tell, people tell me themselves and it's just, it's so humbling. It's hard to hear, actually, because I feel like it's very, um, ego, even though I'm not doing anything, you know, it's like, I'm not saying I'm great, I'm great, but it's just hard for me to hear because it's so not me that's doing it in a way, you know what I mean? I'm just kind of here. I'm a vessel, I suppose.
4: When I hear Adjoa say that to you, Joan, it actually makes me feel protective of you that you had to do it by yourself. You know what I mean? There's something that that couldn't have been easy. And it makes me feel protective, you know, that you had to bust through and and what a gift that was.
3: For everybody
5: else.
4: Yeah, what a gift for everybody else. But it makes me protective of young Joan.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, I I was lucky I was able to find other girls that that wanted to be in a band. Let's put it that way. I mean, you know, for me, it was a life mission. I knew it once I started started this and I got into it seriously and we started doing press and the first thing the press would ask is about sex things, you know. Oh. And I immediately, mm-hmm. right away, as sixteen year old went, if I answer this question, that's all we'll get is sex questions and they'll never once asked me about the music. So I refused to answer that question. I said, listen, you know, I don't know what I said, but I wouldn't answer the question. And I kept turning it back to music because, you know, Read the lyrics. What you want to know is in the songs. Stop being so fucking lazy and stop looking to be titillated.
8: Well, exactly. What you were saying, Arden, about being protective of young Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Because as a human being, you're just allowing your heart to do what your heart wants to do and what your soul responds to. And all the rest of it, the weight of what everybody else takes from it that's not your business. Your business is to be true to your heart. But the example of you being true to your heart is the blessing that your truth becomes to everybody else. Because it's not saying be a rock and roll star. It's just like saying, go be true to whatever your thing is, whether it's pottery or cookery or rocket science. Just go be you.
3: I was just going to say the amazing thing is about both of you. And then by implication, you, Carrie-Anne, but is that you... Both are really committed to the idea of being authentic to your what's inside you and how you articulate that, just what you just said, Adua. And I'm interested in how both of you, because your life, you were born to be a storyteller, Adua, you're born to be a rock and roller, Joan. <clears throat> How do you know? How do you, do you just know? Or, cause I have a big problem. Like, I just don't know sometimes what I'm supposed to be doing. And I get lost and I was like, am I meant to be a mom? Am I meant to be a director? What am I meant to be doing? Like, how do you figure that out? Because that's, well, you're both so singular in that way. I'm, well, I, 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 know, I you. know
5: for sure. My, I have definitely have an answer for that. I didn't know. It's just, I was doing things I like to do. And it's just the chance of, you know, in the cycle of life, that's what happened to be what I was doing at that moment. That I had a chance, and my family moved to California, and I'm like, well, wow, there might be girls here that want to play rock and roll. So it just was it was where that was in my growth cycle. Because earlier, as a younger child, I wanted to be an astronaut, an archaeologist. I wanted to be an actor, but I, I'm very interested in a lot of things. I could have been a forestry person. But you know, there's just a lot. I'm interested in, and a lot of it doesn't have to do with ego, Mm
1: -hmm.
5: you know? So to me, it's a little bit dangerous, you know, this uh, path that I chose because... You have to make sure that shit's in check, you know. Uh, and so,
4: I love the idea of Joan Jet in space. I just have to say, I would watch that movie, <laughs> Carrie. You can produce it. There's your next movie, right, Joan Jet goes I to space. i direct it. Adway, you could be like, you could be like, you know, the you guys could meet as like the villains in space. so like, oh, I, I'm
6: all in. I feel like we could make lots and lots of money. <laughs> but I, I want to ask you though, why does it have to be so binary? Can't you? be a mom and a director and other things as well you know I think you know that's the gift of women too we can multitask you know (laughs) I think sometimes
5: to be fully committed though care is the difficulty yeah you know because you want to give your all of yourself the me I know
6: I know in my struggle with it. But I do think the pandemic has given us a gift of that because everybody's in our homes. It's yeah. like, you can be all of it. And and you yeah. don't have to, you know, I think when I started my career, that was a different thing. And I had to like pretend my children weren't there, or right. that I wasn't a mom and I had to put on a different hat. I don't know. I think being a mother does inform it.
5: Well, I just, I just know if I had had kids, I yes. mean, you know, myself that, either I would have had to totally not be in a band because a big part right. of it is the road or not have kids. And, I, you know, I made that choice long ago. You know, it was not even, I, I just wasn't here. I knew I wasn't here to be, to have a child come out of me.
6: But I'm very motherly. Yeah, I love that. And you guys slept me around the road like a little suitcase. Yeah. so. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm definitely, you are my kid. You are my kid. But you know
5: what I'm saying? I'm, I'm yeah. saying- I was here to be fully committed. There's yeah. it's like a, not a war. I don't like using those words, but I had to be fully committed to being a yeah. woman in a man's world doing what I'm doing. I could not do it
6: halfway. Yeah. I can't explain what I mean by that. I know what you mean, but I think it's changing. I hope it's changing. Adwoa, do you, you have one kid? How many children do you have, Adwoa?
8: I have three. I have three, and my, my eldest is about to have her own. So wow. I'm about wow. to become a grandmother, which is like... Wow. Mm, wow. No, I'm completely astonished, because I had no interest in children. I don't even know how it ha- I mean, like, obviously, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> um, we have
4: something uh, to explain I mean, to you, Adwoa.
8: <laughs> okay, thanks. Watch episode six. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> For
4: those of you who don't know, uh, Miss Julianne also directed and executive. She was an executive producer on Bridgerton. She directed the pilot. Wow! But the the the, the reference to
3: episode six. So so just the... so people
4: know, so episode six. If you wanna if you want a sexy time, just jump right to episode six, and that's where our lead character learns all about sex. And boy, does she ever! <laughs> it is the sexiest <laughs> thing that is on television right now.
5: <laughs>
4: wow.
8: Anyway, so you have three children. I have I have three kids and a bit like you, Carrie-Anne, they were schlepped on the road with me. I um, I got my first equity gig and found out I was pregnant in the same week. Uh, and I was wow. offered the job and I had to ring them back. And I was like, hi, yeah, I'd love the job. You just need to know I'm pregnant. But it was a socialist feminist touring company who uh, just did a little pause and then they went, oh, we better have a maternity policy then. And I I toured in the van till I was eight and a half months pregnant. I had the baby and a week later I went back to work with the baby. And, uh, you know, Jessie, my eldest, is a school teacher because she never wanted to go through any of that shit in her own life again. But she got schlepped all over the world with me and and I was in my 20s and I had the energy to do it. But if you speak to my older kids, uh, my younger kids, I was away on tour a lot. So you're always kind of in the wrong place. But the thing that I hope that the kids have got from me is if you have a gift for something or you have a love for something, you have to pursue it. You know, my duty is to model for my kids, be all of who you are.
5: I think it's brilliant. That's what you want your kids. You'd hope that your kids would go for what they love in life, you
8: know? Yeah, but I I don't think the pushback is gone. Last year- I don't either. I directed the first all women of color Shakespeare that's ever been done in in the UK. I did that last year. I I edited it. I played Richard II. I saw it was amazing. I read about it. I read about it too. The pushback, I cannot tell you the pushback. Uh, People I uh, I go, okay, I want all women of color, musicians, composer, designer, voice coach, fight director, everything. And people were like, well, they're just not there. And I'm like, yes, they are. I will get them. You have to pay for them. They're coming. And they were no, 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 we, we can't, we, we don't do that sort of thing. Mm, well, we do now. And the, the, the hostility was, it's kind of, you kind of go, really? This is 21st century, what? Um, because people still can't quite get their heads around the entire 360 degree capability that women have to do whatever it is that they're interested in doing.
5: But doesn't that make you more committed when when you get that kind of resistance? Okay. Yeah, me
8: too. I edited a film of it. I put the film out free on YouTube. I was just like, I want people to know we are here. We did that. Yes. And you can do it as well. Because they're threatened. Yeah.
5: Somehow it hits them at some kind of fear level. I, yeah. I don't know what it is, but that's all it can boil down to when you yeah. get that kind of resistance. It's like, what is it? It's yeah. not because it's not funny or whatever you're, you're trying yeah. to say.
3: Okay. So- We're going to stop right here and we're going to go to a quick ad break.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com investinginamerica investing in America.
3: Okay, we're back. We were just talking about pushback. And I was saying earlier that it's sometimes hard to know as a creator which lane to pick. So that was what was
4: interesting for me that you felt like you weren't sure of your zone because like watching the Bridgerton pilot there was such confidence. It just wowed me. Like, that's a woman who knows what she's doing. That's a woman who's in her purpose. It's interesting to me that there's any doubt about
6: that. And also, you gave voice to, you know, women's sexuality for once. Like, it
2: feels like
6: the woman's perspective, which is, you know, all me and my women friends that have watched it, we really appreciated that.
3: So I I just want to chime in and say it was a team effort, (laughs) Bridgerton. It wasn't just me, but I do feel really strongly that that was something that I wanted to do with that episode episode six and I'm so glad that people have the reaction that they have had because they could have had a different reaction so but I want to say it's a privilege to have you guys talking and I just knew I thought you'd get on so I'm so happy that um (laughs) that that I was able to bring you guys together See what you can do when you put your mind to it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shimmy for that one. <laughs> this is a question for both, well, for all of us, really. There's something in the documentary, I think it's Iggy Pop that says this. He says, uh-huh. you have to be willing to go anywhere with this. You have to be willing to go up, to go down, to go sideways. Wherever it takes you, you have to be willing to go. And... Um, in terms of the authenticity of purpose that we were talking about, you know, Carrie-Anne, Joan, what does that mean to you? How do you allow yourself to just go with that ride and not get disheartened?
8: Well, I get disheartened all the time, but it, it's my life. It's like this or death is how I feel about it. I have a huge curiosity and appetite for the world, but this is my gift. This is the pool I swim in. I don't have anything else to do. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to change and be somebody else or do something else. So, it's like, you know, we're built to be forward motion creatures. So either I lie down and I give over, or I go forward, and I have no illusions that you know you can blow smoke up my ass today. And tomorrow I can, I can be out of a gig. Uh, I have no illusions about that. But the thing is, you love what you love and you, you have to pursue it. And sometimes you have to pause and go, hang on a minute, what, what are you pursuing again? Are you pursuing being creative, being lost in wonder? Have your soul fly somewhere? Or is it something much more pedestrian? Because for me, you can do the pedestrian if it takes you to the soul flight. But if it just keeps you in the pedestrian, stop it. Because that's not what you're supposed to be doing. So I know that all sounds a bit esoteric. Soul shit, flight.
4: But- Soul flight was the most beautiful phrasing I've I've never heard those words together, and I, I loved it. Soul flight. That that's yeah. that's it.
8: Yeah, because all the rest is just noise, you know. All the, um, all the oh oh, you're, you're marvelous, or this is this, or this is that. It's just it's just noise. And you know that um uh, that Elvis Costello lyric: "Yesterday's news is tomorrow's fish and chip paper." Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it is.
5: Yeah. I mean, you know, with this, this pandemic, it's really kind of stopped what I think of myself, first and foremost, as a touring musician. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, that's what I love, making connection is what it's all about. You know, that minute, that second, where I'm meeting eyes with people in the audience, and it's our moment, and nobody, you know, and it's there forever. And it's really important to me. And to have that gone, and uh, it's pretty devastating you know, to my heart, to my, what I do, you know, because Mm -hmm. like, oh, you can do this other work or that other work. And it's, yeah, yeah, I can get to it. I'm sure I can, I'll survive, but it's really tough to not be able to do what you love, you know, what you really feel like you're, here for.
4: That really came through in the documentary. Watching you, I, I thought it was so beautiful to watch how it didn't seem to matter what size venue you were playing. You know, they were saying whether it's somebody's sweet sixteen party, yeah. a state fair, or like Madison Square Garden, you go out Hollywood there and you, Bowl. yeah, the Hollywood Bowl that you just go rock it like that. That is that is so great. I loved that. But that does that mean that everybody
5: else adjusts their performance for where they're playing? You know, some people it down or yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know that people don't all have the same idea about live performance that I do. You know, it's the only place a lot of bands can make any money now because sort of been, you know, royalties are non-existent. So unless you're Taylor Swift or somebody selling tons of physical records and getting those kinds of streams, you you know, you can't live. And there's so many musicians
6: definitely
5: and crews and you know all that Mm -hmm. stuff that are are not working now I mean Mm -hmm. big famous rehearsal studios have been around forever you know since 30s gone you know it's Mm -hmm. it's really heartbreaking so I don't know I guess that's when you say you got to be willing to go anywhere with it yeah yeah
8: it's like um it's like a I think of it like a coral reef you know It's like there's a whole ecosystem. I I was thinking about when the London lockdown happened, I'd been to see um, a friend's last performance of their show that night. And it was actually, it was at a drama school in central London. And they'd shut the theatres that afternoon. So people had literally been sent home who'd come in to do a show that night. And I walked through, you know, the theatre district of central London and Covent Garden. And it was like, you could hear the (laughs) people. Trumbleweed It's the woman that sells the program and shows you to your mm-hmm, seat. Right. It's the guy that's painting the set. It's the taxi rank round the corner. It's the right. little coffee shop there. It's like the ecosystem is so enormous. It's the cleaners, the dressmakers. And it's really scary because so many of those jobs, you know, you can't furlough those people. They're not, people aren't attached on a long-term employment contract. They don't have their health insurance. Or anything. It's just like people just fall off a cliff. So on the one level, it's our aesthetic experience of either wanting to be performing on the stage to those audiences or be in those audiences watching performances. And that, you know, there's that side of the heartbreak. And then there's the other side of the heartbreak, which is I no longer go clean that theatre. Where am I going to go? It's so fundamental. I agree.
3: Yeah. A friend of mine said yesterday something that really, really resonated, which was if you just put in the search bar of Google, how will I pay for and then just leave the rest empty, you just get just a wave of information about where the world is right now. And it was... Mm -hmm.
8: This whole period, it's a really exposing time on every single level that you can think about your life and the world. And I think if if you have time to pause and actually reflect on what's going on, I really hope that we will hold on to the stuff that we've re-remembered. The stuff about touch and community and poverty and you know who, who are the people that we really value at the moment? It's the guy that picks up your garbage. It's the the, the person who's caring for your elderly or your sit. You know the
5: the essential workers. You mean?
8: Yeah, 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 yeah. Pay yeah, them the, like
5: they're essential.
8: Yeah, right. Really, because you know, that's who you want holding your hand in the hospital is that person. It's not going to be the cultural commentator from blah, 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 blah. Right. Right. You know, I
4: think what's so moving to me just about today, I will say just the collective humanity here and just the connection. And I think what our listeners will really appreciate is just all of you coming together and giving us your time and, you know, that everybody's doing the best that they can. And We really appreciate you all showing up so authentically and You know, it's a tough time out there. And also like these strong women who who we can all look to as like Joan got knocked down 23 times and she came back. And I truly believe (laughs) that. But I I think for all of us like that, that there is a collective spirit out there in the world that will go towards the light. And um, I know, Julianne, I think I speak for both of us. This has been truly an honor.
3: Oh, my God. Yeah. I have to introduce you to someone, Joan. This is my son. He wants to say Hi. Hi. (laughs) He wanted to say hi, and now he's got shy. (laughs) (laughs) Julianne, are you thrilled about our first podcast? I am. This is amazing. Thank you so much.
5: Oh, it's been my pleasure, for sure.
3: Your
4: hearts all shine through. Like, we all knew your talent just as fans, but your hearts all shine through on this, and I consider it an honor, and I'm going to consider you all my friends now.
5: Cool, man. I, I consider it. you
4: my friend. Thank you. I, no thank rain you. shall fall. On my I'm going to be rooting for all of you on earth. And uh, thank you for <laughs> your time. And I just adore all of you. Thank you so much for being our, first, you. our first on Lady of the Road. Good luck with the whole podcast thing.
3: I thank you so much. Thank you, guys. You're amazing. Adra, Anno, Adra. Joan
4: J- and Joan, uh, and Carrie Ann Brinkman. Woo! <laughs> all right. You. So much love to you all. And we'll be back next time. And we're going to chat with Adjua. And uh, you guys, thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Bye, guys. I'm not hanging up
5: yet.
2: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
3: What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here.
2: And I'm Austin Hankwitz.
3: We're the hosts of Mind the Business, small business success stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks.